If you think you could never be vegan, you're in the right place. And if you think there's something big that you'd really like to do, but it's probably too late, you're in the right place. My name's Michelle Olander. I think there has never been a more important time to move in a vegan direction. So I'm here every week to cheer you on and ask you to veg your best. What is vegan design? With Kayla Mackey Pittman and Dave Pittman from Harmless Studio. Welcome, welcome, and welcome back. One of my favorite things to look at on this podcast is the way that moving in a vegan direction can just open up your life. How the practice of limiting and eliminating the use of animals as products, how that can open up your awareness of what's happening all around us and how important our choices are. Today we're asking, what makes design vegan? What makes a design firm vegan? And I suppose we know that being vegan is not just what we eat, but what makes a business vegan? This week, our guests are Kayla Mackey Pittman and Dave Pittman of Harmless Studio in Maine. And you know, the clue is in the name, Harmless. Kayla and Dave do design and marketing for people making the world better, and their focus is on vegan and sustainable projects. Now, not long ago, I know there was more resistance among manufacturers and retailers towards using that word vegan. I still run into it, but in today's conversation with Kayla and Dave, you're going to get a sense of a new generation of businesses who are embracing it. Kayla is an interactive designer and digital marketer. She studied interactive design at the Rhode Island School of Design, which I may sometimes call RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Kayla also holds a certificate in management from Harvard Business School and has been recognized by the United Nations, the University of Pennsylvania's Center for Social Impact, and uh, PETA. Dave is an award-winning interdisciplinary designer and former creative director at the multinational ad agency YNR. It was called Young and Rubicam back in my younger days. And as a designer, he has worked for Fortune 100 companies, global NGOs, and all kinds of spots in between. He is a certified vegan interior designer and holds a master's degree in industrial design, also from the Rhode Island School of Design, where he sometimes teaches. Kayla and Dave Pittman, I think, are the perfect team to introduce us to the concerns, the opportunities, and the challenges of designing while vegan, how they aim for sustainable and, yes, harmless. Enjoy the conversation, and I'll be back on the other side. Kayla Mackie Pittman, Dave Pittman from Harmless Studio. Welcome to Veg Your Best. It's great, great to, to be, be here. here. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. You know, I um, I don't know. We have more and more vegan uh, businesses and entrepreneurs. And um, I had a vegan interior designer on a couple weeks ago from Australia. And I think I got such feedback 
uh, about that, I don't think people understand that vegans are everywhere. Vegans are everywhere doing everything. So why, why don't one of you tell me what the story is for Harmless Studio? And um, I think the the mission is in the name there somewhere, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so so Kayla and I both uh, had sort of a variety of experiences professionally before getting into this, uh, doing marketing or, or design work for kind of a variety of clients in a variety of settings. Uh, and then uh, it was... In uh, 2016, uh, I sort of left the corporate advertising world to go to grad school uh, at the Rhode Island School of Design to study uh, a vegan design, basically vegan industrial design, so vegan product design. Uh, and the idea there was it was an opportunity to kind of get more involved in how products are made and get away from the question of sort of how do we sell products. But of course, that had been... Uh, my career and Kayla's career to some extent up to that point um, and and did that for several years. And during that time, Kayla also went to the Rhode Island School of Design for uh, interactive design. So we're sort of both adding these uh, extra skills and both really interested in sort of the vegan world. Uh, Kayla started a company called Unicorn Goods that I sort of helped with a little bit um, that was meant to be a, uh, a, a store essentially for vegan physical products. And then it was uh, in 2018, I finished grad school and uh, and then Kayla graduated, I think it was a year later. Um, and then we were sort of off to the races trying to figure out how to incorporate sort of these new things that we'd learned into uh, our work moving forward. And we decided to start a, a, a sort of multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary design firm to do sort of uh, the design of physical goods, design of spaces, design of packaging, uh, sort of a, a wide variety of things. Of course, web design, uh, branding, that sort of thing. And so that was the the sort of genesis of Harmless Studio. And then over time, the studio has kind of evolved into being mostly uh, packaging websites and brands. But of course, we still have these other things in our wheelhouse that we're also interested in. It's just we found that there's more interest in that sort of thing, uh, especially coming from a two-person studio, than there has been in, say, like the product design side of things, which tends to happen at a much higher sort of corporate level. And you tends to be much bigger companies doing that type of work. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the, the genesis of the studio. So tell me, I'm, I have a lot of admiration for a lot of the artists and designers who've come out of RISD. So it's very nice to meet two more of you. Uh, we have close friends that have been involved with RISD to different extent. And I did not know that there was a vegan product design specialty there. So I'm very glad to know that, first of all. And second of all, what is it? Tell me. Well, and sorry to jump in here again. But there is no specialty there uh, per you se, but I kind it. of, I made it. Yeah. So, so I, I went to their industrial design program uh, for graduate school uh, and, and, and uh, my thesis work there was vegan design. So I, I feel like I was figuring out what it was at the same time that I was introducing everybody else to it. Uh, but the idea for me with that was just um, that we have all these physical things that we interact with and most of them aren't vegan. You find animal products in everything. So that seemed like kind of the next logical extension of, you know, getting beyond food into all these other things. I think that's fascinating because I don't I don't think people realize and I certainly didn't realize until very recently how many glues and binders and, and products are in every single thing that we touch throughout our homes, even toilet paper, cotton, 
so many things have labels, have all kinds of uh, animal products in them that we didn't know about. So when with your uh, your specialty in vegan product design, um, where did you begin or where do you begin? Well, I, I, I might let Kayla go ahead and take this one because uh, really, you know, my interest in product design uh, really came out of her work with uh, Unicorn Goods. So okay. she started this uh, store to sell physical products, mostly clothing uh, that didn't involve animal products. So I'll kind of let her tell yeah. that story. Yeah, Kayla, tell us, where do you begin with that? Sure. We both worked on Unicorn Goods as we were educating ourselves on this issue. For me, the idea to start a, a central website to list vegan and ethical products came from my own frustration trying to find a wool-free sweater. And at the time, I was vegetarian and hadn't really fully connected the idea of animal byproducts as being uh, part of the same the same types of materials and, and sort of food items to avoid that vegans do. So in learning more about wool, uh, trying to personally shop for a sweater, uh, I kind of worked on the problem with Dave and we both realized that there was a real lack of transparency around the materials going into everyday products. And then at the time, there was also a severe lack of availability of these products to the everyday consumer. You couldn't just go into a mall and easily find a sweater that didn't contain wool or some type of animal product. Um, so from there, we kind of had this idea to make that process easier for consumers because we were doing a ton of research directly reaching out to companies to get information. We felt like we could provide a service that we thought was also personally rewarding and helping people support companies that were trying to make their supply chains more ethical and use materials that didn't involve animal cruelty at the time. So from that, we kind of expanded out toward all clothing. It was mostly clothing at the beginning and um, looked specifically at leather, but also down. So that's another area that's seen a lot of growth. And all of these since the time of doing this or starting this process five, six years ago has gotten a lot easier. The goal was to um, sort of help the pain point when it was more acute. But now it's easier than it's ever been to find properly labeled cruelty-free items. So in doing all of this research, I think Dave and I both felt that this was a really strong need that we could fill, that we were interested enough in actually working on this problem. And then we realized uh, through our own interest in going to school and get sort of building our skill set that we were in a position to use our skills to solve the problem as a design partnership. Does that all make sense? Of course it does. No, it's, it just shows me how much, there are so many levels to all of this, what you're interested in doing, what you can do. Um, I know a few years ago, probably 10, little, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I tried looking for a down-free winter coat for my daughter um, who needed a new one. And it was, it was one of those catch-22s. If you Google down free or down alternative or vegan, you you just get down coats. They just now there are a lot more available now than there were 12 years ago. But um it's 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 almost like the thing you're trying to avoid is what you elicit in the Google searches. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And it's so ubiquitous. I think part of what I failed to speak to is sort of the connection between 
online shopping and what we do today with Harmless Studio. A big part of why vegan products we identified were so difficult to find was the um, lack of understanding on manufacturers or really retailers side of things um, and how you make vegan products findable to the people who are looking for them. So the exact problem you just talked about, you know, using Google or using a search engine and using the word vegan is something that is a really common uh, consumer behavior for online shopping. But retailers are increasingly less reluctant, but at the time were very reluctant to use the word vegan or didn't understand that that was really important in order to have those products show up properly for the people who are looking for them. And that's something that we still see today with all sorts of food products. The word vegan is much more prominently used in looking for vegan products than say plant-based. And so that's that was sort of one insight we had where we, we thought, wow, more more companies should know about how to reach the right consumers in addition to making it easier for these products to be made in the first place. Yeah. So with now, where do you find your clients these days? Are they, are they looking, are, I guess, are people looking for, I have a vegan uh, product, so I don't want to just have um, a Manhattan, you know, Madison Avenue firm doing it. I want uh, a, artisanal vegan plant-based sort of design firm or and what is a design a vegan design firm that's a good question i'll let i'll let dave explain this since he's he can kind of speak to both of those points <laughs> how we find clients and sort of what makes us vegan yeah yeah well i think um you know so i mean it, it varies but uh i would say that a lot of our work these days is really uh you know it's 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 uh, persuasive. It's semantic. It's conceptual. It's it's um, it's often uh, like we're we're rarely doing uh, physical product design these days. So it is mostly sort of the branding and promotion of existing vegan products. Um, and those clients, you know, sometimes we find them. Sometimes they find us. But uh, I would say that for a large percentage of them, it is important to them that we are vegan uh, ourselves either because that means that we have some level of insider expertise that maybe other firms wouldn't have, uh, or, um, or it's that they have, you know, they want like people who, who are fully committed, you know, sort of fully on board, uh, with the vegan idea. Like, like they like everything else about their company is vegan. So they want to go ahead and hire other vegans to work on it. You know, people who are sort of, uh, on the same team. Um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, so so I think that that's a, a big part of it. As far as the question about you know what vegan design is, uh, you know, it's it's I think it's a very broad term, but um, certainly when we're doing the the physical product design work, uh, that is materially, uh, essentially, uh, at its core, it's vegan, right? Like it means that we're avoiding animal products. It means that we're participating in this boycott movement to not use animal products. Uh, with the idea that we're putting pressure on the producers of things to use uh, animal products less or to not use them at all. Um, when we do the other kind of vegan design, more the conceptual sort of language driven persuasive stuff, we think about that more as like, you know, we're dedicating our skills uh, to a cause that we care about. So we are, you know, I, at this point, I, I hate to say that we're experts or to tutor on horns, but but we know a thing or two about promoting things and, and making things look good and, you know, uh, making things appealing. 
And so we're applying those skills to uh, to companies and products that we want to see do well in the world, because ultimately we're trying to make a future where animals aren't exploited or killed, uh, uh, for, you know, for uh, to produce materials or, or, or food or whatever. Well, now, for our listeners, what kind of materials that you might be in packaging or or form uh, placards or or I'm trying to think of all the term the um, <laughs> all the materials that you would create as designers in advertising or in packaging? What kind of materials are in there that are problematic? Kayla, do you want me to? Yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave is much better equipped to answer the physical material side of things. This was actually his thesis focus in grad school that um, led to the studio founding initially. So yes, please. <laughs> well, so unfortunately, I think there's no um, there's no clear cut list anywhere, uh, to my knowledge, and there's no sort of uh, clear cut method. Uh, for sort of figuring this stuff out, except for just sort of like old fashioned uh, sort of journalistic kind of investigative work. So uh, what we're usually doing is uh, like when, when we are working on a project like this is, is basically just talking to the factories and saying, you know, what's in this thing? Uh, and then saying, OK, well, and, and where does that come from? And where does that come from? Can I talk to the supplier? You know, can you give me the, the name of the company mm-hmm. that made that thing? And then we sort of chase that down and say, hey, okay, so the tennis ball company said you made the felt. What's in the felt? You know, how do you how do you produce the felt? Um, so, you know, I think that uh, on, on some level at this point in human history, it may be impossible to completely be 100% truly purely vegan. Uh, but we just try to do the best we can to get as close as possible. So, so for us, that means, you know, like, doing everything we can to to make sure that there aren't any animal products in in things but i've been shocked over the years at the the number uh, of places where various sort of chemicals that are derived from chemicals that are derived from a part of an animal uh like that end up in in the most random places so um yeah i mean that's in in some ways that's uh kind of where it all started for us so things like paints and papers and packages, wrappers. Okay. Everything. Yeah. I mean, it really is, you know, so, so I, I hate to go on a tangent here and I'll try to be brief, but um, part of what got us into this in the first place was a, a book called uh, Pig 05049. That was a, a project a woman in the Netherlands made uh, about all the places that animal products end up. And she had a very successful TED talk about this. And that was really, I think for me, at least, I, I think for Kayla to some extent was the big thing that got us interested in, wow, there are animal products inside bullets and crayons and computer chips and, you know, all these places where you wouldn't expect to find them. Um, so anyway, it seems like if you want to be vegan, then uh, that's certainly like, you know, an important area to look at. Yeah. Now, I, I, I think that that sometimes our advocacy is limited to just asking for what we want and asking why is that not available without these materials? Uh, because sometimes we can't do everything and we can't make things change, but we can at least plant that question in the supplier's brains. Like, oh, re- maybe maybe there's a market for these people who are suddenly asking these questions that no one has asked for a hundred or 200 years or more. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. definitely. Yeah. So, all right, so tell me now, what what is your dream 
creation right now in terms of as designers? I think most designers have an idea of something that they really want to do and they really want to uh, be involved with. Do you, do either of you or each of you have have a dream client or a dream project? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't have that anyone specific in mind. Yeah, Dave, do you have anyone specific in mind? No specific client. Um, you know, it, there there are two sides to this question though that that I think relate to the way that we work. One is is that um, I think Kayla and I are always kicking around um, random ideas for things that we think would be funny or interesting, uh, and you know, sometimes it's well. There have been a number of times that we've actually followed through and ended up starting uh, these sort of turning these imaginary companies into real companies um, in, in a way that we never expect to get rich off of them, but we just want to see them exist in the world and we have enough of the skills to make them uh, a reality. Um, so we have, I think, a lot of random ideas like that. Like I would love to make vegan hot dogs for dogs. Um, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, yeah. those types of, <laughs> of sort of often pun driven ideas. Um, and then, and the other thing is, uh, is I think, um, that, you know, I think we have like a, an ideal type of client, you know, which is uh, a client who's, you know, trying to grow, they've got something interesting that they're working on. And I think that they have maybe a certain profile in terms of their, um, their tolerance for risk and their tolerance for doing things a little bit differently and, and sort of, um, wanting what we do to be interesting uh, so much of the time, clients of all kinds who were who, who are uh, clients of all kinds of companies, um, people often approach design as if they're they're designing their living room, right? So they they make decisions about how to advertise their products in the same way that they make the choice about choosing a couch that they're going to sit on every day that only they'll see, and they sort of forget that often what makes the type of design that we do, right? Like promotional design work and, and sort of, you know, packaging and uh, you know, the, the aesthetics of things that are out in the world that are trying to get attention is, you know, they, they forget that those things are, are supposed to get attention. They're supposed to be surprising. They're supposed to be uh, memorable. You know, they're supposed to be noticeable. Um, and so it's a very different sort of set of, of um, sort of needs that we're serving and and some clients really understand that and some some have a harder time with it. And so I'd say that the clients who really want to do interesting things that are going to be attention grabbing and are going to be noticeable and memorable and whatever, like those are the the, the types of clients we sort of have the most fun with. Uh, and I think ultimately have the best work with. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I see. I see that. And I see I think that's a very good distinction to be made because there are some packaging like uh, there's packaging that you can't miss and you remember and you know exactly where to go. I, I now have all, all um, a bunch of little grandsons and I know they recognize the packages of what they like you know, it's, they, they stand out for them. They're not subtle. Like I might like my living. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Tasteful, you know, and from some sort of uh, archaic sure. idea. Yeah. So that's, so absolutely. that's interesting. And do you feel that people who are, I'm wondering, do you think people who are looking like leaning into veganism have a different thing they're looking for than people who are kind of old school vegans? in terms of visuals or responses? Definitely. Uh, definitely. I think, yeah, there are definitely different psychographic profiles that we target when we're approaching a project. And it's different for the stage of growth any company is in, as well as their goals moving forward. 
Um, so, and it depends, you know, we deal a lot with companies who are in the sort of scaling phase and helping them decide between, you know, if they should speak to only vegans and only their sort of early adopters and advocates, or if they should speak to a more mainstream market. And those are very different linguistic approaches. And they also have different uh, aesthetic approaches in terms of how uncomfortable you want to make people seeing your product on the shelf for the first time. And then the, the, these considerations are also different if someone is uh, trying to do mostly online sales versus, um, you know, trying to get shelved at a major grocery store. Um, Dave, does, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, one of the ideas that I think that's really standing out to me and from what you're saying, though, is, is that context matters. And that's something that we end up, you know, saying a lot, um, right? Is, you know, so it, it does absolutely matter sort of who you're going after, where the thing is going to be seen or encountered. Um, absolutely. And in terms of the question about sort of legacy vegan companies versus maybe some that are more on the edge of being mainstream, that sort of thing. Um, I do think that you see, you know, the, the company, uh, I, I see three common strategies right in this world. It's like there's the the sort of legacy vegan companies that are maybe a little bit sort of hippie or, or sort of crunchy or, you know, kind of the tradition, the old school kind of whole foods aesthetic, right? Granola, you know, like, like the thing companies that have been around 20, 30 years and they've been selling veggie burgers made out of black beans and whatever. And, and, that, and that's all great, but like Dr. Bronner's 70s type things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. That, and those types of brands, you know, they're not going anywhere, but they're also not really geared up for growth in general. They're kind of trying to just, you know, continue to do what they've always done. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, then you have this other category of um, sort of vegan companies that are not really marketing themselves as vegan at all. And they're really targeting the mainstream and they're they're very high growth companies with a lot of money and, you know, like impossible uh, and impossible foods, uh, beyond meat, Oatly, well, Oatly is maybe an exception, but, uh, in general, they're trying to be really sort of sexy and super trendy and relevant and whatever for a very mainstream audience. And then there's another category that we don't talk about that much. That's kind of this, uh, the companies that maybe someday will be in impossible foods, but right now they just need to get traction somewhere and they're not going to go from being nothing to being, you know, a billion dollar company. Uh, plus, uh, without like steps in between. And so often those those companies are the ones where we think of appealing to a vegan audience is really important and really relevant. And they don't need to be a mainstream company, but they're also not uh, a sort of legacy vegan company. They're kind of still trying to be sexy and exciting and whatever, but they can be much bolder in how they talk about like why they're doing what they're doing. So they can say, like they're doing this to to reduce harm to animals or to save the planet or, you know, to they can sort of appeal to maybe a smaller audience that's much more concerned with the issues and, and that sort of thing. Instead of this model of more like being a Trojan horse and tricking people into uh, tricking mainstream consumers into buying your product because you're so exciting and new and whatever. So anyway, um, that's kind of how I think about it. That's interesting because I do I have been. uh gratified but also surprised at how quickly the um the, the you know how we say that you typically people come to veganism through the three doors of either animal ethics health or the climate environment ecology i have been surprised Absolutely. how that third door of the environment and climate has just exploded and it seems to me packaging 
reflects that more than that. I think a lot of things position themselves as healthy, whether they're vegan or not vegan. But in terms of the environment, I that seems to be an area that's visually impactful. Is that something that that you've seen as well? Definitely. I feel like I'm talking a lot though. I, want, I feel like Kayla. <laughs> no, I definitely definitely agree with that. I think also the the argument is much harder to it's a lot harder to argue with the environmental um with the environmental reasons to not consume animal products there's a lot more data back you know that is um very robust and concretely backs that up as a positive consumer choice one of the most impactful things you can do right to make your footprint as small as possible um on the health side there there are definitely you know our health reasons to to go vegan or especially plant-based, but to your point, um, many vegans don't do it for health reasons. And those who do are generally not buying um, sort of the more indulgent products that are geared toward the mainstream. So that's something that we discuss a lot when we're marketing a new product. Health is often not a major selling point in terms of getting people to buy a product initially. It's sort of a follow-on benefit, but especially in the food space, you know, buying something that's indulgent and delicious and, oh, by the way, it's better for the planet and it's better for animals and it happens to be vegan is a much more compelling way to get someone to make an initial purchase, especially if the branding is confident and sort of well put together and speaks to um, speaks to those values in a very visual way. But um, yeah, there's no question that, you know, as we go forward that more and more products will continue to to sort of address climate change and reduce their footprint especially as we are demanding it as the people buying those products for sure because i'm i'm guessing that visuals that remind us of the impact of animals can be tricky because vegans can feel very uncomfortable with that because they even if they agree and they're glad that that exists. They don't want to necessarily think about it because very often that's what they just don't want to think of animals being harmed. And we have not gotten to a place where animals are not being harmed. So that that's but uh, and I would think that for people who are still kind of on the fence and leaning into it, they also might not want to be reminded of animals being harmed. So I'm wondering if um, so. So it does is is that part of why climate and health are visually taking over that kind of that part of vegan design i would Absolutely. say yes definitely yeah i think that's something that we see but all three of these issues are not um what we use mostly when we're trying to get someone to buy a product for the first time um it's really difficult to kind of happen to these uh these reasons that are kind of universal when someone's almost making an impulse buy um, but what we see is that for products that do have a deep resonance ethically with the consumers that the return, you know, they're more likely to remain a customer and they're more likely to advocate for the product itself, which is especially, you know, relevant when you're talking about, you know, viral, something going viral or people sort of convincing their friends to buy it and um, growing organically. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think what you're telling me is you're trying to get eyes on, you're trying to get eyes and attention 
and you're not nest and, and you want it to be you want it to be in alignment with with the other things but your your focus is like how do i get your attention and get you to pick it up and maybe put it in your shopping cart or in your or click on it in on online right and i think you know because so many of our clients are founders of the companies themselves or ceos of very early stage scaling ventures because we're you know we are vegan but we're applying these sort of um, more broad market sort of market force tools to the marketing we can kind of identify that as a problem point early on and uh bring to the product the marketing that's going to help it grow uh the you know grow the fastest instead of what resonates the most with the founders at that point um we kind of a lot of our clients describe their time working with us as sort of brand therapy like a lot of what we do is sort of um we're very sort of hands-on and partner really closely with who we work with so that they kind of understand the strategy of what we're bringing to helping them grow. So you guys are telling us that you are vegan and you are ethical, but you're, you're trying to make people's businesses explode too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's in advertising or, or, or just sort of marketing more broadly. I think it's, there's always this dance, right. Where you're like, you're not always, saying exactly what you mean and people who are making purchasing decisions might tell you that they're buying something for one reason but if you dig a little deeper it's actually some other reason and so there's kind of this weird uh set of like codes that we're all kind of like speaking in and playing with and that sort of thing so i think that that that's a major uh facet of of marketing vegan products is you know the this idea that like like you said vegans uh are compelled by or at least generally i think compelled by the the idea of not harming animals but at the same time they don't want to see pictures of it on a carton of milk or something right so they're they're like not necessarily like wanting to look at animal suffering all the time they've already made a decision to do less harm so you know you don't have to uh, shove it in their faces all the time and that's not necessarily like exciting to them um and then on the other end of the spectrum, if somebody, you know, is not a vegan or they're not interested in, in veganism, then they're certainly going to be turned off by that. So, you know, so we we sort of might allude to the fact that no animals are involved and that sort of thing. But but we're also still being very strategic about, you know, what's going to make this product do the best, because ultimately that will be the thing that's best for animals. Uh, right. I mean, I mean, not just animals, but if we're just talking about the the animal suffering problem. Um, we're, we're sort of dancing around it in a, in a very strategic way. I think this is such a fun conversation for me because I, uh, you know, I get continually things, um, online where people say, I don't know why you're talking about food because veganism is not a diet. And I am, I understand that. And I also think the diet is often what is the hurdle for people mm -hmm. because you, there's no veganism without eating in a vegan compliant way for an individual. And I think so many people who can be a little on the, you know, you're not fully vegan. None of us is. And I love when I hear that there's so much more all of us can do. And there's so many other questions we can ask. And if you feel like, I, I just feel like if you're putting somebody else down for not being vegan enough, I think it's the mirror. We need to look, what, where are we not being vegan enough? If, instead of worrying about what other 
other people are doing. So just to see um, how many businesses, how many businesses we need to come up and bring people's um, attention to all these different parts of what it means to be a consumer functioning in the 21st century in the Western world. Where do you see a real need, some a product that hasn't come out yet or hasn't been developed or something that you, you know, you look around and it's just not really there yet? Oh, wow. Like where to start? I think we, like Dave said, we're always having these ideas <laughs> of things that should exist and don't and have to really control ourselves of starting them ourselves. Start all the businesses. Yeah, I mean, it, just locally, like we live in rural Maine now and um, there is a lack of vegan restaurants here, which we really miss. We used to live very close to Plant City, um, who's a, they're uh, still to this day a client of ours and Plant City X as well. And we really miss their food. <laughs> we, we have to, you know, control ourselves from starting vegan restaurants almost on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, from anything like we also, I think as, as people who are very in tune with design and the way things are made, Dave, especially with his background in industrial design, I think purchasing things in general tends to be challenging for us because we're hyper perfectionist and we expect a lot from the things that we do buy and bring into our lives because we think of that as um, almost a vote. You know, anytime you spend money, you're promoting that to be made more. And that goes for vegan materials, but, you know, it goes for sort of design uh, details too. Um, But yeah, restaurants for sure. And then um, I'm not sure if Dave has anything specifically outside of that, but um, it's almost too many things to count. I wish there were more of us, I think. I'm just going to interrupt because you said Plant City and Plant. That's in Providence, where you used to be. You used to be in Rhode Island, and uh, right. somebody's listening. That this, listening from somewhere, Plant City is a fun, fun, fun spot, and Providence is a very vegan friendly, uh, very vegan friendly city. Um, Rhode Island, absolutely. Japan, even even rural Rhode Island is 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 moving along in that direction. So, Dave, you tell me, you tell me, what's the thing that doesn't exist yet that just you really are waiting for? Man, you know, it's, it's funny. I think I, I've been vegan long enough now that I've just kind of forgotten. I've like moved on from so many of these products. Like, I, I think there are probably so many things that I gave up on a long time ago. Um, but it is it is funny to think that, I mean, there's so many decisions that, that I make, you know, say in a given year or I mean, even a given day. Uh, I mean, uh, consumption decisions, decisions about what to buy um, that I, I'm I, I was just amazed that there aren't um more options i mean i mean there it's the best way of saying this there are plenty of options if you're looking in general these days if you're looking for a vegan thing like say a a vegan like you mentioned a a winter coat or or a pair of shoes or whatever but it's mind-blowing to me that you can't go necessarily to any given mainstream brand and and be confident that you'll be able to find something vegan you know there are certainly some brands that do it much better than others but it's amazing to me that you know that we have to sort of that we still have to do research if we're looking for like oh i really like this pair of i don't know nike shoes uh and now i need to check to see if uh if these shoes are in fact vegan and i know that nike makes some vegan shoes but are these vegan shoes right like it's amazing to me that that um it's just it's so easy to replace materials like leather with all kinds of amazing alternatives that 
you know, I get th that it will be a long time before companies don't do that at all. And I do believe that someday we, we won't use leather at all. I don't know when that will happen. But but in the meantime, it's amazing to me that that companies don't just have at least one option for everything they make uh, that that's vegan. And and along the same lines, I'm amazed that like if you wanted to buy a car used or new, um, it is very common to do things like put leather on the steering wheel, but like only on the steering wheel. So you can get vegan upholstery everywhere else, but just like the, the steering wheel or the shifter knob will have leather on them. And that's like the only leather in the car. It's just mind blowing to me that it's not just like much easier to, to avoid uh, altogether. I mean, it's, it would be so easy for them to do. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to me. I would just add, and that being said to Dave's point, I think it's not a question of, for example, vegan leather on steering wheels not being available. It's more a matter of it's not being used. And I think, you know, in the in the example of the code as well, it's not that there aren't amazing down-free vegan coats out in the world. It's just a matter of them being difficult to find and of there not being enough of them. So I think in the place we are today, like, pretty much everything that can be vegan is being done in some form. There just needs to be more of it. And a lot of that comes down to people caring enough to seek those out and buying them and having those purchases be as, as easy and clear and uh, available as possible. And the other problem is what happens. I, and I think thwarts people is then things start becoming very plasticky. You get a lot of plastic, a lot of synthetics and a lot of, so we worry about, is that a better choice? Um, is it maybe, sure. and and the children and people and sweatshops that are working on them in, in various places. And so we worry about the workers and exposed to these materials. So then I, I see among people I work with that it becomes like an overwhelm. It's like, now what do I do? When I could just shut my brain off for 10 seconds and buy the thing I've always bought. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and I would say too that you know to the point about you know the the plastics and chemicals and and of course you know exposure of of you know workers and that sort of thing or 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 exploitation of workers. Um, it's it's funny because we always talk about things like that, but then we never talk about the flip side of that, right? Which is if you buy the default, say you know uh, uh, you're you're buying a car with leather upholstery because you're trying to avoid you know synthetic leather because of the 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 uh, you know, the um, petroleum based products or or other chemicals or, you know, that type of thing. We forget how toxic leather is, right? I mean, it's uh, skin naturally biodegrades very quickly uh, and it requires uh, a very uh, toxic sort of, conco uh, sort of cocktail of chemicals to to preserve it in the way that we do. And then on top of that, it's, it's produced in places where, uh, you know, workers are are doing that without it are, are processing these things without any protection and in places that are horribly polluted and and sort of forgotten uh because no nobody else wants to do it right so these it's such a dirty industry that it often gets sort of pushed off and farther and farther to the margins where there there's you know it's a it's a far dirtier process and far more environmentally damaging and often far worse for people uh, than the the sort of the alternatives of which, you know, you get a wide variety of alternatives, right, in terms of their uh, environmental damage and that sort of thing. But it's just always really important to remember how horrible for the environment and people something like leather is. That's a very good point. I'm really glad that you brought that up. That's an excellent point for us to keep remembering, because I think even my brain continues to be 
brainwashed by these ideas that there's clean, natural things. And there absolutely. are oh, absolutely. Things. And I, even though I know what you're saying, that that is that is sort of what I was saying to you that like, oh, this is really dirty if I buy that. You're absolutely right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so you know, to, to make something like leather, you know, last as long as it does requires uh uh, you know, um things like like chromium and and uh mercury and ha- various heavy metals. And I mean it's, it's a really nasty, nasty process. Uh and then of course the the workers, I mean, like in Bangladesh, uh you, you know, where where a lot of uh, tanning happens. Uh, you, the people who work in the tanning industry, I mean, are, are often not making it past 25, 30. Um, I mean, they're, they're uh, horribly exploited and exposed to all kinds of horrible, uh, very toxic things. So, I mean, I, I, and I, I know there's a little bit of like a chuckle in my voice there, but it's just, it's, it's dumbfounding how horrible the industry is. I mean, it's, it's just, horrific yeah. yeah so it is a false it is so what you're saying this is really a false a false juxtaposition a false dichotomy this idea that there's thing that's not right. dirty and all these plastics are dirty and you know you i know you guys have a hard out for for the top of the hour here and i i i, I think you're gonna have to come back on another time <laughs> and talk about this i know this is maybe a little sad sad t- topic to to end on but i'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing dave Pittman, kayla mackie Pittman. Thank you so much for making time for Veg Your Best. And I think there are going to be a lot of questions for you. So I'm going to try and put together some questions and maybe throw them to you on Instagram and see if you can uh, answer them for our listeners. Happy to do that. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this we love talking about um, what we do and this issue. It's really close to our hearts. So thank you for allowing us the opportunity. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I'm just glad to know you're out there. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> so... So what did you think of Kayla and Dave Pittman? You can find out a lot more about them at their beautiful website, harmless.studio. And the book, I wanted to mention that the book that Dave mentions by artist Christian Medertsma um, is called Pig 05049, and that is linked in the show notes, as well as the TED Talk that um, that Dave mentions um, by the same artist, Christian Medertsma. And that's called How Pig Parts Make the World Turn, which is really a fascinating few minutes to listen to. Um, I I don't think it's what you're expecting. I don't want to ruin it, but it's not what you're expecting. And I think one of the most thrilling, dare I say it? Yeah. One of the most thrilling parts of moving in a vegan practice, in a vegan direction, uh, developing your vegan practice is the way doors open in your awareness. Doors open in your awareness of so many things about how we live on this planet. And though there are, of course, so many limits to what each of us can do, especially when changing other beings and other things, there are actually pretty few limits to what we can imagine and try and how we personally can show up with those beings and things. In our businesses, in our relationships, in our purchases, all our behaviors, we always have the option of considering how we might be able to cherish more and harm less. I hope you'll follow Dave and Kayla at Harmless Studio to learn more about their work and their fascinating clients. And okay, kids, until next week, there are so many ways to do this thing. Get out there and veg your best. 
Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So until next week, make it easy and veg your best.